Blog Talk Radio. another episode of the Mystical Matchmaker Podcast. I am Marla Martinson, your host, um, matchmaker, life coach, intuitive reader, energy healer, <laughs> author. I do all the things. And if you are new to the podcast, welcome. If you've been with me before and returning, welcome and thanks for coming back. And I think today the topic and my guest is absolutely perfect. I did not make the timing on this um, on purpose, but it is Women's Day, Women's Day, National Women's Day, and it, we have we're up on a full moon. And so, how much more magical and goddessy and um, you know lioness, lionistic? How <laughs> can it be? It's just so so great. Um, so I have a wonderful guest called Conchin Baskar, and she is. Let's tell you about her. Um, she is an Indian American um, first-time author, and I've got the book here. It is so good, you guys. It's a memoir. We're going to talk about that. But she has a master's in social work and a certificate in life coaching. And being a successful human resource professional, her expertise is in training, mentoring, counseling, and coaching. And she's taken the role of advocate, speaker, and coach for victims and survivors of domestic violence. Kanchan is blessed with three children, a daughter and two twin boys. They live in the U.S., and she lives in Chicago, my old hometown. I lived there in the 90s. Um, and so Kirkus Reviews talks about her book, says, A Gripping One Woman's Self-Emancipation Marital Despotism. So I'm going to bring her on right now. Hello. Hi, Conscience. How are you doing? I am doing good, Marla. Well, welcome and happy Women's Day. <laughs> Women's Day. Yeah. Same to you and all yes. the women listening to this podcast. Yes, yes. Oh, gosh, it's so great. So I, um, you know, I've got a little bit left to read of your book, just a tiny bit, but it is there. It's just gripping. And um, so tell, you know, tell the ladies, the, the listeners, um, a little bit of your story, where you started. You start in, in India. And, you know, I was... Um, I, I love Indian literature. I read some of that. I like the culture and the food and, you know, music and a lot of things about India. I haven't been yet, but I have read some books and, and fiction and nonfiction. And I was I was gripped by the fact that, and you'll have to tell me if it's still going on today because I was actually speaking to my dentist who's from India originally. And, and, she's, and the, this was in the 80s and you were pretty much, I mean, you couldn't do anything. If you're trapped in a, in a marriage that is, is abusive, 
if the person tries to commit suicide, if something happens to them, if they do something, you're to blame, and maybe your family's to blame, and maybe your whole life will be ruined. It's like, so anyway, I was just still, I was, you know, it's one of those books where you're reading it, and you're like, you just want to wring the guy's neck, and you're like, no, no, you know, how can this be? <laughs> so just tell us a little bit about how the, you know, your story starts, and go ahead, I'll hand the mic over to you. Okay, thanks, Marla. Uh, thanks for those kind words and the introduction that you have given. Um, let me start with the happy days. So I was born in okay. New Delhi, and I grew up in a very enlightened family, educated parents. Uh, they were working professionals, both of them, and it was a it it was a household of love and warmth and full of values. There was no inequality between sons and daughters, like typically in India it happens. Uh, we were all equal, and rather uh, the daughters were loved more than the sons because their viewpoint was that one day they will go away after the marriage. So um, it was a very blessed environment, so to say. And then the time came for my marriage, and I found myself in an arranged marriage uh, to a social charmer, a bright young man who turned out to be a narcissist, angry, alcoholic, and a violent man. And the first Mm -hmm. time when he hit me, my whole life turned upside down. And I yeah. just did not know what to do with my life. Uh, by the time it righted, I was already trapped in his power and control. I had to escape somehow, but how? So, yeah. you know, the, the um, by this time, I was already blessed with three children. I had a daughter, and the twin boys came three years later. Uh, and uh, the... Society shamed me. The law did not protect me. The lawyers told me, the divorce lawyers told me that, uh, you know, if you divorce, then your children will be divided between the two mm-hmm. of you. One could go to him or two could go to him or all the three could go to him if he somehow proves that you are having an extramarital relation. And to prove that in India is very, very simple. You don't need any efforts. You know, you pay somebody, they'll come take your picture mm-hmm. somewhere outside when you're with your colleagues or, you know, doing something, shopping or, yeah. you know, just like that, Photoshop and just give it to the mm-hmm. court. So, and giving even my one child to that alcoholic and a violent person was mm. unacceptable totally. So yeah. I had to remain in that marriage for the longest time because I was told unless the children turn 18 and they tell in the court that they would like to live with their mother, I cannot have their custody. Right. So, and, and, there, oh, and I was going to... Say, I was going to say at one point I remember in the in the story that uh, your parents even said, "Hey, why don't you just we'll adopt the kids and you can get a divorce and start over," but you would you would not give up the kids, you know. Of course. Yes, 
I mean, yeah. that was my, that was my responsibility. The kids, the kids were given to me by God, and I yes. had to be their mother and mother them. So uh, yeah. that was not possible because they they thought that you know I could remarry, and I said I will not remarry or gratify myself on the cost of my own child. So mm-hmm. that was not again a possibility for me. So I remained trapped. I was hit by him every now and then, and it was not just one slap or one kick or one push or one pull. It was a proper beating. Yeah. Uh, you know, because the excuse for him was that I was drunk. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. I yeah. knew. I knew what was going on. You know, but. Also, he manipulated me a lot, and that is what the classic case of such violent people, they are like that, you know, they will hit you, then they manipulate you next day, they will cry, they will be on their feet, they will say, pardon me, please, you know, don't go, don't leave me, I don't have anybody in my life, where will I go, I will die, I'll hang myself. So you mm-hmm. you are in that fear, of him beating yeah. you or if you leave him then he committing suicide or killing himself or killing you killing your children so you i was totally lost in that marriage you know i was lost i was numb i was depressed i was fearful i was ashamed mm. of the society i was not protected i was unsafe so all that went on for years and since I had the faith in the universe, universe I thought was my friend. It was kind. It was benevolent. It uh, will protect me. It, you know, I have my own blueprint there, and I have to go through this according to the blueprint. But then I know for sure that after war comes peace, and after this stress, there will be a day of happiness coming in my life. So I kind of accepted it because of that faith that this will Mm -hmm. come to me. And, you know, that faith to bring me angels, the collaborators started to come in the form of mentors and guides and angels, and they directed me. So when I say angels, angels are not like somebody with... uh, you know, different structure or a different face. They are us, all human beings, like a friend, a, a mediator. The God sends a mediator, and I knew that he was a he was a mediator. But then that person was like an angel to me. That's why I say that the angels came my way. And Marla, the yeah. first angel who came my way was the person, a therapist, whom I went to after my first child was born and I was still very depressed and lonely and alone in this world, I went to her and I cried my heart out. And she said, Kanchan, you're an educated girl and I see you almost like a frog inside the well who is not coming out of the well to see the world outside. So crawl up to the periphery of the well and see, there is a whole lot of opportunities waiting for you. So why are you yeah. in the well? 
And that thought struck me. And I said, no, I have to come out of this well. And I started to search for ways of escaping along with mm-hmm. my three children. And I kept searching till I found it. Yes. So the first yeah. thing, yes, I yeah. had to literally strategize and plan my escape because I could not afford to make any error. If I made any error, then one of us will be not alive, you know, either the right. children or me or him. So there was no scope of any error. I had to take very slow and steady steps and I started to build my ramp. So the first thing mm. that I did in building that ramp was becoming financially independent. And that too came as a challenge from uh, angel to me. Because yeah. one day yeah. I was standing with my three children in the veranda and this angel came. And, you know, I had these two twins on the sides of my chest holding on and my daughter was clinging to my legs. And I was starting uh, standing outside in the veranda in the evening and this this guy or my so-called husband at that time had hit me and he had just run out and walked away in his flip-flops and he was shouting I'm not coming back and I was like what should I do and you know I could feel that there is somebody at the back of my neck somebody is standing there and I turned and there was this very good looking woman with curly hair and you know, beautiful looking. I'd never seen her before. And she introduced her to me and said that she was uh, visiting India. Uh, Rather, it was just a stoppage for her uh, on the flight to UK. And she had uh, a hopping flight from New Delhi. This house where she was standing just next door, I mean, there was just a five feet wall in between that house where she was standing and where I was standing she said this belongs to my brother and I am just visiting him so she Mm -hmm. said "Uh, you look very sad to me what's wrong and as soon as she said it like I wanted somebody to show that empathy to me and I started to cry again I was so full of tears and uh, she said uh, so uh, what are your plans I told her my story a little and she said, so what are you thinking? And I said, what can I think? I've got these three children. I cannot go anywhere. I can't do anything. She says, no. These are all the excuses you are making. You can do if you want. You have to start working. You have to become financially independent. You have to gain that confidence in your life. And once you're financially independent, then you can plan whatever you want to plan. Mm-hmm. And said that much and she walked away I came in Marla into the house I went into the bathroom straight away I washed my face I looked into the mirror I put some you know coal into my eyes like the eyeliner I combed my hair I stretched my back and I said I am going to do it that was the Mm. day that I swore to myself that for my children's sake I have to become financially independent. So I started to look for a job. So that was my first step on the ramp. Once I became financially independent, uh, the second step on the ramp was to 
put my children into a boarding school. I did not want them to see all the mess and the, you know, the whole Nasakar taking at home. And uh, I did not want to them to become, you know, sociopaths or, or you know, how these children, they've been in the violent families, what they become. So I did, yeah. I wanted them to be brought up in the same manner like I was. So I said, okay, let me send them to boarding schools. I had no money in that sense of paying fee for three children. I did not think about that from where the money will come. I knew the money mm-hmm. will come. And, you know, so the, my faith has been there all the time. And then the third step that I took on the ramp was to buy my own house. Because yeah. I knew that when I am in my own house, he cannot push me out of the house like he does every now and then from his house in the middle of the night along with my three children. So that's the third mm-hmm. step. And so like that, you know, I started keeping, kept on building that ramp till the time that, you know, when I thought he is not improving in spite of my so many efforts, he is not going to uh, take any medical help. I've tried such a lot with him. Uh, then at that time, I decided to come to U.S. And I came to yeah. U.S. and I'm away, far from him. And, uh, you know, the, the gift that America gave me was the gift that I was looking for for years. And that was getting a divorce. Yeah. But you did, but he did show up with his, I mean, he did come for a little bit and he showed up with his suitcase in America as well. Yes. And he let him in for a little bit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I liked when Mm. he knew that he could get, you could call 911 if he would lay a hand on you in the United States. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. He knew that. He knew that he could not jeopardize his visa status. Um, but the good thing for him was that I got my green card through my job and the whole family got it. So, you know, he stayed back here somewhere, wherever he is. Um, and um, I got my independence. Uh, the day I got my divorce, Marla, I jumped on my two feet and I called everybody oh. that, that I am independent. I am free. I can live my life oh. now. And that uh, and twenty years later, and and uh, so um, this is some twenty something years later since you got the divorce, right? Twenty three, yes, twenty three years later. Twenty three years, and he's still uh, he's in the United States now. He's somewhere living his life. Yes, yeah, yeah. We are not in touch with him. Um, mm-hmm. My sons were for some time, they said on mom on humanitarian grounds, we just, you know, call him once mm-hmm. in a while, but they never responded, so they stopped too. Yeah, yeah. I'll bet if yeah. he saw your book, he's going to, you know, be like shocked, but. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes. You know, and, and, and that. Yeah, and, and, uh, yeah, go ahead. That fear was within me for some time after the divorce. I wanted to write, but then I didn't. Um, but then, you know, by now I've become so uh, a forceful a person, so empowered. Yeah. And, um, I wanted uh, this story of mine to go out to people like me, to for them to know that they do not have to be under the 
or in imprisonment of anybody for that matter, you know, whether it be your partner or anybody, there is a way out. And if I could find it, you can too. Absolutely. And um, uh, let's see, I was going to say, um, well, what I was struck by too is his family. They, I mean, they just, they didn't give you any help or it was almost like they were just dumping him off on you because they knew what a, you know, difficult, yes. uh, mean person he was. Um, yes. And uh, now is in India, is, would you say that it's still all these years later the same? I mean, do women, is it still the same situation for women if they are getting abused or they'll get no help or they'll be blamed or, you know, if you're yeah. not married, pretty you're looked much, upon as, it's, huh? Pretty much the same. Although you mm. read in papers that new laws are coming and things are changing, uh, I would say it will still take another 50 years maybe for them to change. Mm. But, but the seed is being sown uh, as far as the mm-hmm. law is concerned. Um, the only difference that has made is that when I was in India being brought up, the urban India was only 5% and the 95% was more rural India, agricultural India. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, these kind of stories were more prevalent in those cultures. Urban India, you, you didn't hear them so much. Right. But now, with the within the last like thirty years or forty years, now the urban India has expanded to almost twenty five percent from five. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, people in urban India are more educated, and they are getting more uh, what you call uh, enlightened. And uh, yeah. You know, the, the especially the urban India, which is becoming a little bit more westernized, where there is a concept of partnership. Uh, there you may hear less, but I still feel the numbers are just the same. There is no change in the numbers. So mm-hmm. I cannot say for sure that things are changing, but yes, women, some women are now becoming more empowered and they will not take any shit. Some some women, like I mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. it could be five percent or seven percent. Um, you know, you see all these women being becoming journalists, and they are in these. Yeah. Uh, and social media is also having a good effect, you know, on people. Some good effect. Yeah. Not all of it, yeah. but they hear uh, the the whole thing of you know love marriages and uh, being nice to each other and you know being romantic to each other so that those things are there are coming slowly and and his family i mean i think it was his sisters in your book that was saying now why don't you just put up with it women just put all of the women get beaten i mean that's just the way it is why don't you know why do you have to make a fuss basically um you know and and then uh what struck me too is when your own father he had to acquiesce to your husband's father like he it, you know, the, the husband's family kind of called the shots and your father couldn't really stick up for you too much because the husband's father yeah. was, you know, and, and, I, and, and coming from a, you know, growing up in the United States, it's just like, you know, when we're reading this, it's, when I was reading it, I was like, what, what do you mean? No, you, you, you tell that guy, you don't treat my daughter like that, you know, and, and it's just yeah. such a different 
culture. It's just yeah. ingrained. That's the way people were brought up, and you don't uh, fuck the system. I mean, there's this hierarchy, and um, yes. hard to hard to fathom for someone who didn't grow up that way. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, India is a patriarchal society, whereas here yeah. U.S. it's more mit, mit, what, pronounce it for me, please. Matriarchal society. Matriarchal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So uh, that also makes a difference because men role belief system in India is totally different from what it is here. There, the men role is that we are born with power. We can exert mm-hmm. power, whereas a woman is to serve us. Mm-hmm. You know, so that unless that men role belief system changes, nothing can change. Because, you know, the yeah. whole lot of people in the government, in the admi- government administration, in the lawyers, the police force, everybody, they are mm-hmm. hired from these rural areas. So their right. system is such is that women uh, is is to be treated like a doormat. Yeah, yeah. So and then the the and then you were also you know not only was it physical abuse but it was just so much verbal abuse. And um, yeah. I do talk freely about you know myself always taking, um, you know, because it's not perfect here in the States either. I mean, we did have, I think it was until, wasn't until the 1970s, I think, possibly, that women yeah. couldn't open a bank account without their husband uh, have their own bank yeah. account. or some, there, was, there were some right. things here that, that was like, yeah. hey, you know, um, but, but of course, nothing as severe as, as yeah. India. But um, I always chose uh, and um, partners that would verbally and emotionally abuse me, the narcissistic types. And I, as a coach and as a matchmaker, I meet so many women that have just are just coming out of relationships like this. And I'm curious if you had because in in the book you'll talk about well you know you left them so many times and you and then he'd come and beg you to come back and you did go back and you felt kind of bad you thought okay well he's being nice and then he'd start you know with the verbal abuse yeah. and then the punching and does it does something I I think it does something almost like um Stockholm syndrome something to our brain chemistry where we're so used to that nice and then mean and then nice and then mean. Um, did you notice that with yourself? It's almost like it's, we're so used to being insulted and, and put down or snapped at that if they don't do it, it feels weird. Yeah. So, you know, that is what is a victim mentality. That is where you become a victim. That's why you are called mm-hmm. a victim because you don't get it. You think this is normal life. This is how my mm-hmm. life is going to be. I mean, for me, there were other reasons that I kept going back. I mean, you know, children were involved, um, and uh, then he would manipulate me, cry, and I could not see a man crying and falling into my feet and telling me that, you know, I'm going to improve. Mm -hmm. So every time the compassion came back. Then also in India, you know, once you get married, you are given away forever. That is the society. That's what happens in India. Marriages means that the daughter, you bring her up for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, whatever that age is, and then you give away. And in a way, you are saying at that time that you now they are your parents. Your in-laws are your parents. That man is going to look after you. Our job is over. My parents yeah. did not say that, but 
somehow in my mind, I felt responsible that I was supposed to not be a burden on them. So, mm-hmm. you know, right. I remain here, then they have to spend their money on me and my children, and I don't want them to have their life. So, you know, there yeah. were so many thoughts that I I just kept on making in my own mind. And, and again, like you said, you know, there were some good moments too. So when you would yeah. do that drama of I will be fine, and at that time I'll remember those good things, you know. And then also, Marla, these these people have got a, a typical behavior where they make you feel that you were at fault. Yes. I, Everything's your I fault. You, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then it was like after a few days I started to think, oh, my God, I shouldn't have done that, you know. He, he he started only because I did not put a button on his shirt. I should have put a button on his shirt. So maybe it was like, mm-hmm. you know, like, so right, how, so right. So and till the day I did not accept that I was a victim, I could not mm-hmm. visualize a freedom for myself because I thought yeah. this is my life. So the day I accepted I'm a victim and I have to get out of this victimization, that is the day when I committed to myself that I have to be free. So the two things are very important. One is to accept the victimization and two is to commit to yourself that I will be free. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't commit, then you keep coming back. Right. And so... um... Now, what about your sister? Do you have, I know you had one sister. Do you have a couple sisters, right? Yeah, just one sister, one yeah. elder sister. Oh, one sister. And, and did she yeah. have a good marriage or was she, did she, was her husband better? Was he treat, did he treat yeah. her well? Yeah, okay. she had a good marriage. Yeah. My parents had a lovely <laughs> marriage. My younger brother has a good marriage. My older brother has had. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there I lived in that society. I did not hear this at all before my marriage. Mm-hmm. For me, marriage yeah. meant partnership. For me, marriage meant romance. Uh, a woman was to be respected, and that's it. That was what marriage yeah. was for me. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'll never forget that one scene when you were pregnant for the first time, and then he um, kicked you in the stomach. Um, yes. Very yes. hard, and yeah, yes. that was just. I mean, it was yeah, and it was I was a brutal. I was twenty three years old at that time, Marla. Mm-hmm. I had no. Yeah, yeah, I was naive. Yeah, I was uh, young. I had my dreams, and uh, I was very, um, you know, so called not very worldly wise. I would say, you know, how you can travel mm-hmm. and plan and do things. I wasn't like that. It is only. This life, this journey taught me to be this conscience who is bold and brave and who can fight and who is empowered. And, you know, like, so the, that transformation came to me later. Mm-hmm. Right. And is your mother still uh, alive? No, my parents are gone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know in the book your father uh, is ghost, but yeah. Uh, um, and now, yeah, uh, so you're doing some some coaching. Can you talk about that, what you're doing now to empower women and to advocate? And to, are you coaching women who are in that situation? Or tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. So, um, you know, when I started to write this book, I've written in the book also that how I started to write. And uh, then 
I was just trying to figure out, I started to be on a spiritual journey um, to get yeah. into my own peace and calm and tranquility. I was still hurt in my head somewhere, even after the divorce for years and years. But um, I was not getting that peace of mind. So I started some spiritual practices of, you know, mindfulness and meditation and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, went to different kinds of meditation, attended those. I read Eckhart Tolle and I read Michael Singer and, you know, all these uh, mm-hmm. all these big names in Western uh, world of spirituality that you hear. Um, so um, I started that and, uh, oh, my God, I got lost. What was the question? Oh, how, you're coaching now, and what you're doing to help yes, women. Yes. Um, but so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I was looking for a purpose in life. You know that. What is my purpose? That that question started to come to me, and um, then I said, "Okay, fine. Let me." When I started to write the book, I said, "Why don't I do some voluntary work?" for uh, women of domestic violence. And at that time, I did this certification for and becoming an advocate. And uh, I started to coach the so-called women of domestic violence. They would come to me. Um, their children, you know, even if they are, they need any counseling. So I started group coaching and uh, individual coaching at the time. Uh, but uh, slowly and steadily, I've done some coaching also in India, like on Zoom. These days, the world is flat. You can do these things. You don't have to be face-to-face. So I've done those right. things in India also. So I don't only do coaching for women who are trapped. I also do some coaching for women who are survived. But they do not know how to take the next step because they haven't seen freedom ever for so many years. Right. And they do not know what to do with that freedom or they are carrying that hurt still mm-hmm. so i yeah. yeah guide them you know it's not that i can give them their independence but i can guide them how to what steps to take and one of the biggest steps again like you know after you accept your victim and after you committed to freedom is to have belief in self and you know unless you are yourself strong Physically, mentally, and emotionally, you cannot get out of that trap. So once you have that, and then you will get out of that trap. And then, you know, some people have faith in religion. Some have faith in spirituality. Some could have any mm-hmm. other faith. And those are the faiths that carry you along, you know, because that gives you strength. That gives you, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now, and I'm hoping to expand this a little bit more as the days are going by. I'm still working full-time, but I plan to retire and just get into this full-time. Yeah, I see, I started doing that. I've been a matchmaker for over 20 years, and I um, okay. found that so many of the women that I spoke to. Yeah, what? that is very interesting. Yeah. It's, very, it's very interesting. Yeah, matchmaking is kind of high-end, like millionaire matchmaking. For the men are tend to be affluent, busy, older. Uh, a lot of my guys now are dust, 70, late 60s and 70s. They're divorced or widower, widowers. But um, I find that the, a lot of the women that I had met 20 years ago are still single today, and they're going in and out of um, 
bad relationships or ones that just they'll go pick the same kind of guys, the guys that are not available or, or so I've been coaching, getting certifications and really diving into this why and finding that um, in, in, this, in the Western world, it's, you know, it's not the issue of society or being in an arranged marriage. It's, it's our childhood wounds, whether we were bullied or molested yeah. or the, from a divorced family or told we're not good enough. And then we, that's in the subconscious. And then we pick these men that, so mm-hmm. like, for instance, with me, I know I was bullied quite badly in school. And then who did I yeah. pick every, every time when I grew up? Bullied, bullied, verbally bullied. And yeah. so uh, working on that, the shadow work, the codependency and all, all of that um, is what I'm right. working with now. So, yeah. Um, right. And, and I noticed a lot of... From you, uh, uh, what? Sorry. Sorry. I said there's Pardon? lots to learn from you because I was looking, I was listening to one of your uh, odd shows uh, before this interview. Uh, okay. And... Uh, yeah. I said there's such a lot to learn from her, and you know, so let's remain in touch and keep talking. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I find now when you, the women mostly that um, find you or reach out to you, um, are they more the trapped ones that are having the physical abuse, or do you also find a lot of them that are just picking the men? There's so many narcissistic type of things going on now where 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 the men seem to want to hold you down or they're not happy about what you're trying to do and expand and the women are fighting against it and and it's just like a it's an yeah. interesting dynamic yeah is that what you're finding as well so right now no but now i am getting into more into any situations of adversity so it's okay. not only just the domestic violence, but any adverse situations that you face, um, I may diversify into that. That's what the plan is. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's wonderful. And so um, uh, everybody, Conscience website is, is uh, it's back at, it's linked up at the, at the show notes. And her website is uh, conchinbaskar.com, K-A-N-C-H-A-N-B-H-A-S-K-A-R.com. But you can just look up the, the, her memoirs called Leaving, How I Set Myself Free from an Abusive Marriage. And it is a fabulous memoir. You can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, go to her website. Everything's linked up here. And um, any final words that you'd like to uh, share? Yeah, I would say that we women are so strong. We are born strong, um, and we nobody should be able to take away our freedom from us. We are born to be free. Uh, we just need to live our lives the way we want and not get trapped by anybody for that matter. Um, and for the people or the women or men who are into trapped already I would say speak up because people who Mm -hmm. are into this violence uh, families violent families they do not speak up because we are ashamed to talk about it outside it's not our fault it's not your fault you need to speak up that's what I would want I love it okay thank you so much thank you for spending this time with um, with us and we will continue the conversation 
Yes. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Talk soon. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. If you love this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes and hit the subscribe button. For more inspiration and to stay connected, find me on Instagram at The Mystical Matchmaker or my website, MarlaMartinson.com. Much, much love and hope you have a mystical, magical day.